we've got numbers 25 if you don't mind please stand with us if you're able you say why do we stand pastor just to honor the word of God if you're not able to the Lord understands numbers 25 I want to read the first four verses then we're going to flip over to James and we're going to read James 4 now don't worry about being lost the scriptures are on the screen this morning numbers chapter 25 verses 1 through 4 here's what it says it says now Israel remained in the acacia grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab they invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods and the people ate and they bowed down to their gods so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel then the Lord said to Moses take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel that's a brutal passage but stay with me James chapter 4 James chapter 4 verse 4 these are very bold and blunt words of James adulterers and adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God or do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously but he gives more grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up Jesus we thank you for your word today pray that you would speak to our hearts give us an ear to hear everything that you have for us today in Jesus holy name and everybody said amen hallelujah you can be seated this morning well good morning glad you're here if you were here last week we had an explosive uh, time in the Lord people baptized in the Holy Spirit it was powerful 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 it just seems like this thing just keeps growing and building and building and and we're excited about what Jesus is doing uh, but this morning as I mentioned just a moment ago I want to put a capstone on this series uh, we've been talking about raise the standard raising our expectation last week we talked about living uh, on the edge of our life like a car running on empty and we talked about how God wants us to live our life on the overflow, living on the full, not running on fumes, but topping off with an experience with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that in great detail last week. But this week, I want to uh, talk to you from the, the subject. You see it on the screen this morning. What kind of friend are you? Why don't you turn to your neighbor real quick? We're going to do that this morning. And why don't you ask them, what kind of friend are you? All right, for the person beside you that feels left out because nobody looked at them, why don't you turn to that neighbor and say, neighbor, what kind of friend are you? You know, that may seem like a weird title based on the text in which I've read this morning, but I want you to know that James chapter 4 clearly tells us that you cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. Revelation chapter 3, God clearly tells us to the church of Laodicea, He said, I would that you be hot or cold, but because you're not, you're lukewarm. He said, in lukewarmness, He said, therefore I will spew you 
out of my mouth. Okay, here's what I want you to know this morning. God is looking for people who are hot for him. God is looking for people who are not fence riding in the kingdom of God. He's looking for people who are on the Lord's side. Those who will make a choice, a declaration, and a decision to follow Jesus with everything that is on the inside of them. No looking back, no turning back, no faltering back, but looking forward into what God has for us in our lives. That's what God is looking for with us. So the question I'm asking is, what kind of friend are you? Are you a friend of God or are you a friend of the world? I want to tell you a story this morning, just a little bit of a backdrop, because there's a concept in the Scripture that a lot of people don't talk about today, and this is extremely important as we look at the Word of God. There's a, there's a context in the Scripture that is, is something that is not a popular subject today. It's a word, in fact, that we really don't use in our modern-day vernacular, but the truth is, the Bible says, let God be true, and every man be what? A liar, right? Let God be true and every man be a liar. This morning, I want to talk to you about a word the Scripture uses called backsliding. Everybody say backsliding. This is a word we used to hear a lot. Jeremiah chapter 6, he talks about Israel backsliding away from God's command and His purpose for their life. Uh, Of course, the the New Testament talks about backsliding. The Apostle Paul had a, a partner named Demas that followed him. And the Bible says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. In other words, Demas was following Paul, but turned away to go back into the world that which God had brought him out of. This morning, I want to just draw a clear picture in the Scripture to show you that God wants us to be a friend of Him. Amen? Now, there's a bit of a nuance in the Scripture. So before we get a little bit down the road, let me just go ahead and clear this up. The Bible says in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves the world, and in that sense, the Bible's talking about God loving the people in the world. Now, there are other passages, that, like in James chapter 4, when it says um, that we're not to be a friend of the world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. The Bible's talking about the ways of the world in that passage. The ways of the world. See, the the church is flowing this way, and the world is flowing that way. And and when those two commingle together, it, it, it creates something that God is not pleased with. Because God has called us to be a holy people, a royal nation called out and set apart for the master's use. And so this morning, as we're looking at this, we're going to see that God has called us to be a friend of him. Now, can we go on a journey this morning? Come on, everybody say yes. Let's go on a journey. The book of Genesis records the story of a man named Abram. Later, his name was changed to Abraham. But it records a story of a man named Abram. And and the Bible picks up Abraham's story uh, in the uh, early parts of Genesis. where The Bible says that uh, the Lord speaks to Abram and he says, Abram, I want you to get up. I want you to leave your father's house and your kinfolks. And I want you to go to a land in which I am to show you. 
The Bible says that Abram and Sarah, his wife, went and he ended up taking his nephew Lot with him. Now, if you know anything about that story, the Bible said he wasn't supposed to take his family and Lot ended up catching a ride and because he took Lot, he had to deal with a lot. There were a lot of problems that happened. We, we have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the scripture because of Lot pitching his tent in the pleasant plains of Sodom and looking in that direction. And the next thing you know is you find him camped there inside the gate. But God had this relationship with Abram. In fact, Isaiah 41 says that Abram was considered the friend of God. Abram was a friend of God. In fact, there was a worship song some years ago by Israel Houghton called I Am a Friend of God. It was a very popular song. But we, we were, uh, Abraham was considered a friend of God. And in their journey, God told Abraham this, Abram, he said, he said, Abram, I, I want you to go out and I want you to look at the stars of the heavens. And I want you to look down at the sands of the seashore. He said, so shall the number of your seed be. And he says, Lord, how will this be? Even though I do not have an heir in my own house. And the Bible says that he promised him a seed. God gave Abram a promise uh, he then later begins to talk to him and he says that my people, which will come forth out of your loins, will end up in a strange land. He was talking about Egypt. He said they'll end up in a strange land. And he said they will be in that place for 400 years. And when the cup of wrath is full, I will send a deliverer to deliver them out. So fast forward a little bit in the book of Genesis uh, Israel is in the wilderness. Pharaoh is there. He is beating them. He is torturing them. Pharaoh does not worship the God of Israel. He worships the pagan gods. In fact, there were these plagues of Egypt, these ten plagues, and every one of those plagues was a counterpart to, a, to an Egyptian god that they worshipped. God was showing them out after every plague that, my, that, that the God of Israel is greater than the gods in the world. The big G is greater than all of the little G's. Amen. He was trying to show them his prominence, his priority, his power amongst the people. And there, there came a part where the children of Israel began to cry. They began to cry out. The Bible says that the cries of Israel reached the ears of God. I want to stop right there for a moment and just say this. Aren't you glad that when we cry out to God, our cries go up before His ears? God spoke to Moses, who was a shepherd. He, he had a speech impediment and he couldn't talk right. and He had all these excuses on why God couldn't use him. And God spoke to him through a fired up burning bush. And he said, Moses, I want you to deliver my people Moses replied, God, you know I'm this and you know I'm that. And, and even, even if I did go, who should I tell them sent me? He said, you tell them I am sent me. And so he goes and he has this war with Pharaoh and, and all of these things. And, and what we see is that God called Israel out to be a holy people. Called them out to be a holy people. When we look, God called Moses into the scene. Also a shepherd. The law came through Moses. God gave him the Ten Commandments, the, the tablets of stone on top of Mount Sinai. And there were all of these laws. You shall remember the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before him. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
uh, honor your father and mother. Uh, Thou shalt not covet. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. There were ten commandments that, that were given to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. But then Israel went forward and had other laws. And there were ceremonial laws. But the bottom line is this. God commanded Israel to be a separate people. He commanded them to be set apart from the world. One of the things that was commanded in the law was that the Israelites were not to take for themselves wives from the other nations of the world, not because God didn't want other, other, other necessarily nations, but it was due to not the color of their skin, it was due to the pagan idols that they worshipped, and God knew that if Israel were to intermarry and intermingle with the paganism of the world, it wouldn't be long until they began to be affected by it. So God said, Israel is to be holy. They're not to enter into this other culture. Now, just a moment ago, I mentioned about Sodom and Gomorrah. All of us maybe know some of the details, or at least we know the name of the place, but there were some wicked things that happened. Terribly wicked things. And out of Sodom and Gomorrah came a group of people called the Moabites. The Moabites were terrible people. They worshipped Ashtaroth, they, they worshipped Baal, they worshipped Ishtar, they worshipped all of these false gods and, and, and everything but the God of Israel. And so, and so Israel had this strict command not to intermingle with these people, right? So, I want you to track with me for a second. Israel was told... There needs to be a distinction between God's holy people and the people of the world. That's why the Apostle Paul reiterated that in the New Testament. He said, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has the temple of God with idols? So God says, I want you to be separate. You separate yourself apart, right? And so he tells them to do that. But there came a point, Numbers chapter 23, we're going to work our way up to Numbers 25. There came a point to where Balak, who was the king of Moab, right? This guy was a wicked king. It was a debaucherous nation. Uh, anything went in that nation. You, you imagine the worst of the worst spring break party you could ever think about, and boom, times that times 100. Times it bigger than Mardi Gras, bigger than anything you could ever imagine. It was a, just a, a big drunken fest. All types of idolatry worship and all of those things. The king of Balak saw that the children of Israel were coming in and they were great in number. And Balak starts to panic. Balak says, man, I, I, can't, I can't deal with the sheer number of these people. They are great and God has blessed them. So what he did was he went and he found a man by the name of Balaam. Balaam was a diviner. He, was a, he, was a, uh, he, he, he apparently knew what the voice of the Lord sounded like, but he was into this spiritual stuff too. He had a, a foot in and a foot out. And people would pay Balaam a diviner's fee to tell fortunes and, and to place curses upon people. And so Balak goes to Balaam and he gives him this big spiel. Hey, the children of Israel are coming and these people are blessed, they're multiplied, and I just can't deal with this would you curse them so he took them at the diviner's fee and Balaam goes aside and he tries to curse Israel and the scripture says 
that he gets a roadblock. And the Lord says, you cannot curse these people. For I have blessed them. Then he went back a second time. The second time as well, he said, you cannot curse these people. I have blessed them. Balaam had an old donkey and he got mad and he hit the donkey. And God made Dr. Doolittle thousands of years ago happen and made the donkey talk to Balaam. Come on, does anybody remember Dr. Doolittle? The, the donkey said, have I not been with you? You've not ridden on me. Why are you hitting me for? And the Lord spoke through the donkey. And, and, and so Balaam goes back to Balak and he says, I cannot curse what the Lord has blessed. That's good stuff right there. Somebody needs to know this morning, if God has blessed you, the devil can't curse you. But, everybody say but. What if I told you the devil's not your worst enemy? You know the devil's defeated. He's under our feet. He's awaiting his future judgment. The devil's not our worst enemy. He gets more credit for things he wasn't a million miles close to. He, he just gets all this credit. So, so anyway, Balaam says, I cannot curse what God has blessed. But I'll tell you what we can do. He said, I, we can make them curse themselves. Invite them to the feast of Moab. Invite them to the feast of Moab where their women are. In, invite them to that place and as they go in and they mix, they'll let their standards down. And as they let their standard down, they will begin to defile themselves. So what did Israel do? The Bible says that they went down and they made friends with the world. Numbers chapter 31, uh, verse number 16 tells us that because they did this, they cursed themselves and they brought a plague upon all of the congregation of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this. God's holy people. The enemy couldn't curse them. God had blessed them. He had set them apart. He had sanctified them. But what happened was Israel left their post and they went and began to intermingle with the gods of this world. So they were having this big feast of Moab. It was known as a, a, a blowout. And so how did he do this? I want you to understand this. I want you to listen in carefully this morning. How did Balaam talk Balak into cursing the children of Israel? Easy. Invite them to participate in the party. Why don't you invite them to the party where they're getting drunk? Why don't you invite them to the place where the sexual immorality is happening? Uh, come on. Why don't you invite them, Balaam, to the movie that says the F word over and over and over again? Why don't you invite them to watch the sitcom on television that repetitively misuses the name of the Lord in vain? Why don't you invite them to the place where their women are, are doing all type of debaucherous acts? And when you do this, it won't be long until they start participating in it. And then they wake up one day like Samson when the anointing of God had left him. They wake up one day and say, I'll just shake myself as before, but the power of God had left them. Let me tell you, the enemy is so deceptive when he tries to seduce us into an illicit lifestyle. And we say, oh, well, God's with me. Well, the problem isn't God leaving us. We leave him sometimes. The scripture calls that backsliding. 
Scripture says no man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. God wants us to move forward and walk forward. But listen, friends, it is my fear this morning that many have tried to hold a hand of the world and hold a hand of God and say, God is okay with me. But I want you to know something today. He said, I would that you were hot. I would that you were cold. But I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to make a choice. I want you to make a choice. So Israel went down and they joined themselves with Baal of Peor. The Bible says a curse came upon the children of Israel. Now remember my question this morning. What kind of friend are you? This is going to get positive. I promise you. The Bible tells us, church, we are to love sinners. Jesus loved sinners. But I'm afraid that in many of our attempts to love sinners, we've ended up loving sin. We've ended up falling in love with it. The devil's cologne is all over the collar of the church. You can smell it. Because we have mingled ourselves with it. I want you to know something this morning. You have to make a choice. Referring to the communion table the 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 fellowship with the lord paul said it like this to the church of corinth he said he said you cannot drink from the cup of the the devil and the cup of the lord at the same time we have to make a choice are you still with me this morning all right now we're going to go a little bit further go over to james with me james chapter 4 uh, james 4 and 4 it says this adulterers and adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives us more grace. Therefore, He says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Stop right there. Leave that Scripture on the screen. So in Numbers chapter 25, the Bible says that the children of Israel went in to the Moabite women and began to commit harlotries. Here, James is talking about you adulterers and adulteresses. I, I want to tell you this morning that in this passage of Scripture, that while it is dealing indeed with the physical nature of this sin, I want you to know that even greater is the spiritual nature of this sin. Because the Bible says that when we get saved, we become a part of the bride of Christ. The rapture of the church, the coming of Christ, us standing before the Lord one day, is the culmination of our relationship with God. And you and I are to live holy, live pure, live ready during this engagement period. Because as the old song says, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah. All of us are going to stand before God one day. And so the Bible says we're to present ourselves as a chaste virgin who has prepared herself for her husband. So when James chapter 4 mentions adulterers and adulteresses, what he's dealing with in the context of James chapter 4 are people who've committed spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. 
Some of us wouldn't dare cheat on our spouse. But we cheat on the Lord every, every day. Don't give Him the time we need in prayer. Don't give Him the time we need in the Word. We don't share our faith. Come on, somebody. We watch movies we shouldn't. We listen to music we shouldn't. We dress how we shouldn't. We do all these things. And yet we come to church acting like God can't see us Monday through Saturday. But I want you to know something, my friend. He can see all things. And so point number one of my message today, I want you to know this. Number one, we've got the choice that is laid out before us. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What does it mean to be a friend of the world? It means you love the ways of the world more than the ways of God. You love the frill of sin. You love the, 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 uh, the adrenaline rush of being able to do your own thing and have it your own way. But I want you to know something, friend. The kingdom of God is not Burger King. Burger King's mantra is you can have it your way. But we sang about it this morning. We sang about the one whom we've laid our lives down. Soldiers in the army of the Lord. Brides adorned for the return of her husband. Friends, God has called us to live a pure life. Matthew 6 and 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for he will love one and he will hate the other. He'll be loyal to one. He'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a false god uh, in the New Testament that is a god of of, uh, consumerism and and money. But the the principle is the same. No man can serve two masters. So many times we say, well, I want to serve God, but I want to hang out with my friends that don't love God. And what happens, I've tried to tell my children this through the years, it's much easier to pull somebody down a ladder than it is to pull them up a ladder. Right? Right? Paul said, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now listen, for those of you who are married, who when you got married, either both of you were unsaved or you were saved and your spouse wasn't, if they got saved when you were married, praise God. But for those of you who didn't, don't have that testimony, you understand, it's like dragging somebody up a ladder rung by rung. And what happens is sometimes in the pulling, you get pulled on. Friends, the world has a current to it. And the church is countercultural to the, to the world. You can almost guarantee that if it's in the headlines and on CNN, that we, we believe opposite of that. The world is going this way. The church is going this way. And listen, no man can serve two masters. We must make a choice. Second thing, when we look at the consequence, look at verse 5 and 6 of James chapter 4. He says, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Friends, when we're friends with the world, the consequence is God resists The proud. He resists the proud. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about this. James chapter 4, verse 4. He says, friendship with the world 
is enmity with God. What that word enmity means, they are conflicting, they're at odds. Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Folks, that is strong language. That's not to be played with. We're like, oh, God is greasy and graceful and da-da-da and Jesus never would. This is New Testament. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What is he talking about here? People who want to go to church on Sunday, but they want to do this and they want to do that contrary to God's word the rest of the week. Well, he says, he says you're an enemy of the cross. The thing is, is that God doesn't want you to be an enemy of the cross. He's made way for reconciliation. God's made a way for you to have fellowship with Him. Because here's what happens when you become friends with the world. James chapter 1 says you become spotted by the world. Your garment becomes spotted by the world. I I want you to know something. After you become friends with the world and after you become spotted with the world, then the next thing that happens, the law of progression, is you fall in love with the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for, for all that are in the, the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Leave the scripture up. Uh, go back one. Notice what he said. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot tell me you love to get drunk and smashed and cheat on your spouse and still love Jesus. The Bible says contrary to that, my friend. And listen, let me tell you something. God loves you enough today not to leave you the same way that you came in the name of Jesus. There is grace to meet every sin and every stain today by the glory and the power of His great name. When you become friends with the world, you become spotted with the world, you fall in love with the world, and it leads us to number four. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that the next thing, in verse number 11, verse 32, he says that we become condemned with the world. We are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we be not condemned with the world. See, this morning there are people who are like, Pastor, I don't like this, it's making me real uncomfortable. You know what that's called? The chastening of the Lord. You know why the Lord's chasing you, chastening you? Because He doesn't want you to be condemned. Listen, the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And do you know when we die, it's too late. Everything we do for Jesus, we do on this side of eternity. It's important for us to realize this, friend. There's, there's consequences to falling in love with the world. And number three, I want to look at the call. It's found in verse number seven of James 4. Therefore, what's the answer? I told you this is going to get positive. What's the answer? Therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. The word sub means to come under, just like you would say sub-zero is below zero degrees. Submit, mit comes from the word mission, submission to God, come under God's command. What's the answer? Submit to God. 
Somebody today needs to submit to submit to the Lord. He's calling you to salvation. He's telling you today, the line has been drawn. How many more chances do you get? People are killed every single day that think they'll wake up tomorrow and everything will be fine and they'll have another chance. And they never get it. The question is, my friend, today is the day of salvation. Listen to me. The Lord is is beckoning with all of us today to make a choice. He says, therefore, submit yourself to God. Then notice the next part of that verse. Resist the devil. Put that verse on the screen for me. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Everybody say resist. To resist something is to exert pressure or force against it. Submit to God. Resist the devil. I want you to know that resisting the devil and holding his hand is not the same thing. Resist the devil. So many people today are not resisting the devil. They're opening the door wide open to him. And they're saying, come on in. You know what they say about the devil. If you give him an inch... He'll try to become your ruler. Notice he says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. Friends, you know what that tells me? The devil's not as big and bad as he thinks he is. The moment he comes up against somebody that submitted to God, listen, I'm not saying he won't ever tempt you again, but he'll let go a little bit. Submit to God, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. But he doesn't even stop there. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. This morning, here's the beautiful picture. You see, you can leave here today and say, Pastor threw rocks at all of us and I left yelping. No, I didn't. I'm offering you a lifeline today. Draw near to God. Listen, people, I'm just waiting on the Lord. He's waiting on you. This altar this morning, this place where we bow our knee, He's not waiting on us. He already did everything. He died on the cross. His work is finished. He says, draw near to God, and then notice what He happens. God will draw near to you. People say, Pastor, I have done so bad, I don't know if the Lord will accept me. Well, here's your answer right here. There's no no exclusion clause in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you if you haven't done too much wrong. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you if you you haven't kept on doing it over and over again. No, no, no. That's not what he says. He just says, period. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And then notice what he says next. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. You know what that means? This is a key to repentance right here. It means you got to stop messing with the stuff you were messing with. So many people say, God, I'm sorry, and they go back to doing it. That's not called repentance. Repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, where we get the word butterfly, metamorphosis. It's a complete change. It is, if you're going this way, you now have done an about face, and you're going this way. That's repentance. And the Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. So first we feel bad about it, We feel sorrowful, or we should, and that sorrow causes repentance in our lives. And so notice he says, I want you to cleanse your hands, you sinners. Then I want you to purify 
your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. Cleanse your hands deals with the physical. Purify your heart deals with the internal. Purify your hearts. What does he say? You double-minded. You know what double-minded is? It means you're not solid. Here, 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 here. You say this, but you do this. It's double-minded. Notice this. He says, clear, clear, uh, purify your hearts, you're double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. In other words, feel bad about your sin. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Then notice what he said. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Somebody say, humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of God. And He will lift you up. Do you know what that means this morning? This is so good. Water baptism candidates, you can, you can dismiss yourself to get ready this morning. You know, you know what that means? It means, just very plainly, that when we humble ourselves in front of the sight of God, it means that we, we come before the Lord's presence and we humble ourselves. See, pride, pride is what keeps people bound. See, one of the very first sins ever recorded in the Scripture, committed at least, is pride. Because we know that Satan was kicked out of, the gar- uh, kicked out of heaven for pride and in the, in the Garden of Eden we see him already there. So, Satan has fallen from heaven because he was proud. The opposite of pride is humility. Humility. You know what the scripture says? If you exalt yourself, God will humble you. In other words, like like King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Old Testament story, he got all puffed up. He, He got this position and this position in the government made him think that he was God. And he even got up and said he was God and all this stuff. And the Bible says God took the mind of an ox and put it in the mind of Nebuchadnezzar and he started eating grass and like he just went crazy. God said, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, you want to be high and lofty? I'm going to bring you down. But God says, if you humble yourself, then I will exalt you. If you get low, then I will bring you up high. And you know, when we come to Christ, When we have started falling back into the world. We recognize what we've done. We humble ourselves. Sometimes it may look like kneeling. Sometimes it may look like laying flat in front of the Lord. There may be tears. There may not be tears. There may be running mascara. There may not be whatever. But it's a a humbling experience to say, I don't care what this looks like. I don't even care who sees me. I'm not doing this for them. I'm humbling myself before the Lord. Because God, I want to be a friend of God. Not a friend of the world. And I've got to make a determination today. What kind of friend do I want to be? You see, because whenever we straddle that fence, we think that we're, we're being okay. When God really says, I don't accept that. Because I, the Lord, am a jealous God. And let me tell you this. Husbands and wives, you look at me. 
You don't like your spouse messing around on you? Think of how jealous the Lord is. That's why James says, do you not think the spirit within us says in vain that he, that he burns jealously? The Bible says the Lord is a jealous God. He doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want a quarter of you. He doesn't want two-thirds of you. He wants all of you. You know why he wants all of you? Because he died for all of you. He gave his all for all of you. 